This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. If they expect me to walk away from Luton with nothing... I'll make very sure there's nothing to walk away from. Hello and welcome to the Oak Road Hatter podcast following last night's 6-2 defeat to Manchester City. Yesterday proved to be an Erling Haaland bombardment with the Norwegian forward scoring five goals at Kenilworth Road. It was a sight to see. It was a very interesting game. Here to dissect it with me, I've got Lewis Jones and Finley Cannon. Lewis, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Bill. Um... Actually wasn't too disheartened after yesterday's performance. I thought we actually played quite well given the scoreline. But there's there's things that are positives. Obviously there were negatives, but when you're up against Haaland, there's not too much you can do. Yeah, I did write that in my notes. The scoreline points to there obviously being negatives, but there were a lot of positives that came from last night as well. Finn, how are you, mate? Yeah, I felt the same to be honest. Like I came away from the game thinking I thought I'd be more disappointed conceding six, but I actually wasn't. It was a weird, weird feeling. Like you, I really, it was hard to be that disappointed. Just the way Manchester City played was so, so efficient almost, and so well, unplayable and different to anything I've ever seen before. So, not it's not the end of the world. It could, it could have been in the league, which would have been much worse. Um, but no, I'm good. I think we appre- I think every Luton Town fan appreciated just how good Man City were, and and you mentioned it there, Finn. They were just so different to any anything we've come up against before, um, and you can see why why they are so dominant, um, not just in this country but in Europe. Coming to you, Lewis, in in the game there, it was a fixture that was sort of an uphill battle um, when it was announced. We we'd won at Everton, and then the reward of that was City, and and automatically the response was, "Oh, well, great!" Um, we, we've we kept them out as well, didn't we? In a two-one defeat, we we kept them out for large parts of the game. Performed really, really well, but it was always going to be a different kind of game with Kevin De Bruyne. 
and Erling Haaland back. And, and that proved to be with, with Erling Haaland scoring five goals, Kevin De Bruyne grabbing, I think it was four assists in the end. They Those two together were unplayable and then that connection is just unreal. At times you just can't defend it. And we found that out. And looking back on the game we played against City earlier, 2-1 scorelines, obviously A, a lot tighter, but they played completely differently with Alvarez starting. And when Haaland come off, Mengi just looked like he was a competent centre-half again. He just made it look easy. But Haaland, he just makes it difficult. Haaland, De Bruyne, they could do it against any team. In fact, they have done it against every team in the Premier League, Haaland has, apart from us so far. Um, Lord forgiving that he won't do it at the Etihad, but that's looking unlikely. <laughs> what a stat that is. Haaland, the only team Haaland hasn't scored against in the Premier League is us. Um, but in the FA Cup, that's a different story. A goal every 15 minutes, I think it proved to be. Um, yeah, some player, absolute machine, absolute freak in terms of how he holds the ball up. And it wasn't it wasn't just his finishing ability and, and getting into those positions and his strength. It was it was the passes he played through when he did hold the ball up and, and there was a lot of runners running through. One of those was was one that we've mentioned just before we came on. John Stones, who seemed to be absolutely everywhere. Uh, we were joking about the kind of formation they played last night because I don't think there was actually um, any numbers that, that you could put together and, and be confident that's that's how they played. But it, it was just, as we, as we mentioned, Finn, just completely different to anything we've ever faced. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it, really. It was almost complete fluidity in their midfield and their defence. The, there was only the goalkeeper and Haaland in their fixed positions. Then they almost act as like two pins and then everything else just floats around between the two of them. Uh, when you've got Jones, John Stones going from centre-back to left wing to right wing to centre-mid and then Carl Walker just covering every blade of grass at 100 miles per hour, just his pace was just ridiculous. We see Ogbeni's quick and Ogbeni's quick and direct, but Walker's just quick everywhere. And then even without Rodri, like you look at uh, when the Rodri's not starting, teams say, oh, it's an opportunity. But I think Pepper's just developed such a way of playing that for a lot of teams, it's impossible to stop them. They're so not even efficient, just expressive and just free. They've just allowed every player to be free to do what they want on that pitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And we mentioned how every City player was in different positions. It, it actually forced us into to some weird, weird shapes. I think one point we had Johnson at, at sort of right wing. We had Burke in the number 10 role. We had Chung at centre-back. It's just bizarre. If you just pause the game and, and at any given point, I think there, there would have just been, you know, real chaos when it came to our shape. And then that, that was just pointed to how good City were. Of course, we were missing key players key players that would have been very important in the kind of brave approach where we went for man, uh, man for man once again. You know, Lukonga's retention skills, Adebayo's initial pressing phase, those two, you know, uh, as well as maybe six others were missing, but those two are probably the most important in terms of how we've been playing recently. Um, but yeah, I think that was I think that was just exploited time and time again, Lewis. Yeah, it was. And we know, Rob, he's, he's not going to change from that system of it will be 1v1 at the back. And I, I think he said in his interview that Pep said to him to stick with it. 
And I think that's easy to say when you can spend 50 mil on Diaz, Stones, Walker, Ake. That's that's about spending money on De Bruyne. So it's easy to say that when you want a game six too as well. But it does it does leave us exposed. We know that. We've seen that. But we've also seen that it works. It does work against teams. And we're not going to play against Haaland, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva every single week. Even not. against Villa. Quality side. But they're not City's level. And they were just on form last night. And without Laconga or Nakamba in there shoring it up, I think we were left even more exposed than would be normally. Obviously, Jordan Clark slipping for De Bruyne in the first goal, just giving him all the time in the world, which I don't want to take away from Clark's performance because I thought he was magnificent last night. Uh, but he's not a defensive midfielder. He's not a Laconga or a Nakamba. But... Injuries happen. Happened to City. They've happened to Newcastle. They're going to happen to us again and again. Yeah, and we've experienced it, haven't we, in the Championship? And my mind always casts back to to one game in particular, that Preston game, where we won four 0 at home, where we had. I'm pretty sure it was a back three of James Bree, Amari Bell, and somebody else, because Reese Burke got injured and he was only he was our only the only fit centre-back at the time. So he came off and I'm pretty sure, was it Dan Potts as well at the time? Um, and we still went on to win 4-0. And I think that was one of those games where you just look and think, how did we do what we did then? But just shows that we'll have this togetherness. We will plug through. We won't have any, we won't leave any excuses out there at all. Um, we might be having a very difficult situation with injuries at the moment, especially with Bell um, going off early, Osho being named on the bench, but not fit enough to, to go on as well. It is a really difficult situation, but we've been there and we've got out of there before. So I think that's a positive to take away from that. Um, you mentioned Jordan Clark Lewis and that first goal was, was a piece of art. That second goal was, was nearly just as good it wasn't just those two stunning strikes. It was a really, really good display from a player in a position where, you know, we we need somebody to partner Ross Barkley after Lukonga's injury. Injury, sorry, we need somebody to to try and carry us through for the time being. And I think that was a performance that, you know, really suggested that that Clark can be that man for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um... When you looked, I didn't know what to predict before the team came out, whether it would be Pelly, whether it would be Berry. What I never expected was it to be Clark in that role. Um, but he was really, really good. His passing and his range of passing, he's just making sweeping passes across the pitch, which is really what we need and what we miss when Lukonga doesn't play. Um, being able to find the, the wide players, although City pretty much marked them out of the game, particularly, um, particularly on the right side. They were very, very good at keeping them quiet. But yeah, he was able to make things tick because Ross Barkley struggled. He was put under pressure constantly. He had Kovacic and Matez Nunes every time he got the ball, just right on top of him. So having a clicker there just to be able to make things tick a bit more and then his goals, both of them were unbelievable. Sitting in the, the Kenny end for that first one, we sat right behind the strike so you could see it flying in and see it travelling and it could not have been more top corner if he'd have tried. I didn't see the analysis on ITV. I'm sure Ian Wright really enjoyed it and Roy Keane had a couple of issues with the defending probably. Um, 
but it was such an enjoyable goal. And then the second one was so well worked as well. The little flick over the top by Barkley and then the way Clark struck it as well. He had Ortega coming out pretty quickly. Ortega had made himself big throughout the game to face shots, but he couldn't do anything about that effort. He just was on a half volley, just struck it, just a cross goal and it found it perfectly. And at 3-2, it was like, oh, we could potentially do something here. And then I think Haaland took it personally because he decided to scoop, score two more. And I was sat there thinking, when he he was on his hat-trick, and I think, can you just take him off now? He scored a hat-trick, just take him off, let him have a rest. But the way he was looking at the crowd as well, he, he got a little abuse in the first half from someone at the front row of Kenilworth Road End. And he looked at them, almost laughed it off. And I thought, oh no, this is not going well. He's really enjoying this, isn't he? And I think, yeah, just having a player like Haaland on the pitch, no matter how hard you work, when he's on that sort of form and that sort of mentality he's got, I think it's just pretty difficult to stop. But yeah, Clark was really quite a quality player yesterday. I felt really sorry for Clark after that first goal because that first goal warrants winning the game or scoring a late equaliser, a goal of that quality. But his reaction was just like, right, business, let's get let's get ourselves back into the game. We couldn't really celebrate as the goal sort of warranted. Um, another player we'll talk about is, is young Joe Johnson because again he's come on in a, in a fairly important game. You think of the Everton game as well that he came on in and, and played a played a, a fair chunk of that game as well. Um, he played even longer this time round against Manchester City, firing on all cylinders. Definitely would have been a learning curve for him, and I think there was a lot of positive elements to his performance as well. But certainly a learning curve when you're playing in a game against that quality of opposition um, and, and sort of sticking with the left-hand side, it, it forced Alfie Doughty into a really unfamiliar left-sided centre-back role, um, which I, I think he looked quite decent in. Um, anywhere on the left side or even the right side, Alfie Doughty will do a job. And you could probably even, you could even probably add the central positions because I'm pretty sure Early on in Rob Edwards' tenure, when we were back in the championship, he played centre mid, or that might have even been under Jones. Um, I can't really remember the game it was, but yeah, Doughty had a good game. Johnson coming on, um, 18 years of age and, you know, having to deal with the likes of Haaland, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. Um, we'll add John Stones there as an attacking threat as well, because that's, that's where he ended up being. But, but Lewis, just a word on Joe Johnson. Um, you know, he'll be having the time of his life at the moment. His development, you know, he, that's the kind of game that will really, really progress a player in terms of their own development. I think the biggest compliment you can play him is that he didn't look out of place. And that against City is saying something. I think he turned 18 when we played at Anfield. So coming in against City, who I can't remember by that point, it might have even been two or three up. That's a lot of pressure. And I thought he's excellent. I thought on the ball, he just remained so composed. He even put two or three really good crosses into the box. I think it was a Kanji just latching onto a header where Chong was just there to nod it in and kept his passing really tidy. I think obviously he lost Haaland for, I believe it was the third goal. But it's Haaland. There's, there's not many people that can catch up with him. Once he gets going, you don't stop him. But yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he came in at the weekend, maybe off the bench in more of a than starting role because it's a massive game. But I thought 
Alfie looked a bit off the pace at times towards the end of the game. Obviously, it's tiring playing against City, but obviously, come back from injury as well. I think back to back 90s is going to be a test for him. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come on. But yeah, a great, great game against City for a lad that's 18. And Finn, we love seeing young players come through. We saw James Justin come through and, and enjoy a really successful period of time with us and then, then move on to, to make our millions. Um, Joe Johnson, I think when, when um, Edwards came in, Johnson was still a year younger than the majority of, of the under-18s. So he spotted talent from, from very early on and he's trusted him in, in sort of high-pressure scenarios. Um it speaks volumes about the faith that Rob Edwards has in in Joe, but it also speaks volumes about the the kind of potential and the ability he must be showing in in training. Yeah, absolutely. And any fan wants young players to be coming into the team that have risen up through the academy. Just seeing someone who represents you as a fan on the pitch, and with Joe Johnson, he looks so young. He's got such a young face that it's just impossible to think how is he old enough to be playing a game against these freaks when it was such like Island Holland. But yeah, as um, Lewis obviously mentioned that he had a, a rough start as soon as he came on. I think he came on at left centre-back for Bell and then we hadn't quite moved people around at that point and Holland immediately looked to him like, well, I'm targeting you. And he ran off him for that third goal. But even then he almost got back and dealt with him quite well considering he'd just come on. But yeah, absolutely. Edwards clearly has faith in him and he's impressed in the last, the last couple of times he's come on. He's looked really good and he, Going down that left side, particularly in that second half, he was finding space and Alfie struggled with his crossing in recent weeks. He's been really, without Adebayo in there, there's been difficulty finding that man because he's quite often putting them towards a back post position where Adebayo would usually be. But Joe Johnson came on and he was really whipping the crosses in. Whilst on the run as well, he was finding the man, he was finding Morris, who was in the box, struggling to win anything over Akanji and Stones, who were just so solid. But... He looks really, really promising. And hopefully he'll be the first of many to come through because there's a, there was two, three of them on the bench last night. And Nelson's been on the bench a few times now. He's not got on, but I think he's a striker by all accounts. He's definitely an attacking player. Yeah, yeah, so there's an opportunity for him. if we, We're lacking players at the moment, so I don't see why in some games we're late on maybe bring some players on, see what they can do because we're going to need them eventually. And I think it's difficult to give them an opportunity any time in the Premier League against the opposition we're coming up against. But he's clearly the standout one, Joe Johnson, because Edwards has given put faith in him twice in two big games. And yeah, the, as you mentioned, there's no bigger test than Man City where you're getting run all over the place. And who, I don't know who he was marking. I couldn't tell who anyone was marking really because it was so chaotic and so mismatched. But he stuck with... Any time he was given a job to do, he stuck to them well. And he really put a shift in. So... I don't think you can fault any his performance whatsoever. Yeah, and I think I forgot who said it, but one of you summed it up perfectly when you said he didn't look out of place, and and what a compliment that is when when you know we're of Premier League quality now and we're, we're playing against the best team in the world as they've proven. Um, we'll go on to Deiki Hashioka now, um, another player that that you know we haven't had too well i say haven't had much time seeing that was the first time we've actually seen him in action um he came on had probably the most difficult responsibility in in football in trying to stop jeremy doku who you know like harland and de bruyne is absolutely 
insane live. Um, but he'd done a, a fair good job. He looked tidy in possession. He likes to battle as well. All in all, uh, Lewis, it, it was a good start to his Luton career in my eyes. I think the way to, well, the word to sum it up is solid. I, I think that's what he was. He obviously got a torrid experience against Doku where if he runs at you, I don't think you can really defend it. I think the only person that can is probably the person he's playing with in Carl Walker. So there's not much he could have done there. But I thought going forward, yeah, he looked good on the balls, in some good positions. I was watching him at half-time, actually, with Townsend on the right-hand side, warming up and just putting some balls in the box. And he looked like he can put a ball in. Obviously, it's different when you've got no pressure and you're warming up at half-time than when you're up against players. But, yeah, solid, impressive. I'm sure he can build on that. But it'd be interesting to see at the weekend... Because I thought Ogbeni was a bit off the pace against City. And with Gabore Hashi, I'm going to call him because I'm not going to even try saying his full name. And Ogbeni is going to be some stern competition there now. We're going to head into a short break. But when we're back, we'll look on to the next fixture, which is Aston Villa at home. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We are back for part two of today's episode. And now we're going to look into the next fixture, which is Aston Villa at home, an immediate chance to respond at Kenilworth Road. Um, a team that, you know, are up there, of course, they're fourth in the league, but they do have, and I do I, I do say this with a pinch of salt, but, but somewhat of a less pleasing record um, away from home. They're sort of fifth in the away table, 21 goals scored, 20 conceded. So I guess that's a uh, Part of the game that that we can try to exploit, they're not very uh, well leaky, leaky defence away from home. In a reverse fixture, Lewis, um, I think it's probably important to start here, where Edwards was was criticised a little bit for being very passive and allowing um, Villa to to play in front of us, and, and we sort of got punished for this sort of defensive approach. Things have changed dramatic, uh, dramatically, and now there are people now um, criticizing the, the more aggressive, offensive approach. Um, what kind of approach would you go in, in terms of uh, this Villa game? Like you touched on, we've kind of gone full circle here. We've gone from being a bit too passive to, a, I would say, too aggressive because we're not always all over the place, but it's one for one. And again, I think we'll stick with that. That's what the players know. And it has been 
more successful than us sitting back, which is what we did at early part of the season, and it didn't help. Just simply put, and Mengi up against say Watkins, nowhere by no means an easy battle, but a lot easier than the six foot five Harland that can pin you and turn you and then not catch him. So I think you've got to stick with it. Obviously, a lot's also dependent on the fitness of Bell and Osho. Because if them two are out, it's very, very bare bones stuff. And he might look to go to a four. I think it's unlikely as he likes the the three, four or the five, three, whatever way you want to look at it. But I think the aggressive approach dependent on who's fit. Yeah, that is of course really, really important as we touched on. Um Adebayo bio not being available means that initial pressing phase is a lot more difficult to come by. I think when you look at Adebayo and how relentless he is in his running, Morris is a lot more pragmatic. He likes to see the picture. Um, he won't chase everything because he'll be blocking a certain ball off. Um, so I think, yeah, of course, Adebayo, his relentlessness is, I guess, the most important part of the pressing phase. Um, and then Lukonga in terms of retaining possession and playing through the thirds is, is very important. But then you look to the likes of Gabe Oshow, to the likes of Amari Bell, who I guess need to be fit in order for us to be effective 1v1. Because, you know, if you had Dan Potts in, for example, I'm not saying Dan Potts will come in for his first game, but but if you did have, you know, bare bones and you were forced to, to go with a centre-back that's not as mobile, then you, you're really asking for trouble. Um, definitely need to, to watch out for that. Finn, we've seen Villa play before. We've seen them fairly recently in terms of, of not being as effective as they were maybe at the start of the season. Um, but they still have talent all across the pitch, that is for sure. And, and given an opportunity, they, again, could run riot. What are you expecting from Villa and, and what kind of players are you expecting to cause us damage? Well, it'll be different to when we went to them. That was a tough day all round, as you mentioned. I mean, that was a tough day for me and my mates because we were all been out the night before. But yeah, that was a really tough away day. Um, they just completely outplayed us when on the day when they had the ball. They just passed it as much as they wanted. We just sat off and let them pass it, and then they play that high line that is so difficult to break. Um, but that's at home. Away from home, they try that high line, and it's a quite a lot less effective. Um, particularly does isn't helped by the amount of injuries they've got to defenders at the moment. Uh, I know they haven't got Consa, they haven't got Mings. Um, Paul Torres is in and out of the squad. Did he come off injured in the most recent game? I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> Diego Carlos is another one that's in and out. So we re- if they have got... I mean, we're light in defence as well at the moment, but we've got to take advantage of it if they are light because they'll be a bit more unorganised with that high line, I imagine. Although the way Unai Emery's got them playing... I think anyone can slot into their team and he's so he's so precise of how he wants them to play. But the threats for them obviously come in the attacking areas. Ollie Watkins, everyone knows how good Ollie Watkins is now. He's so good, not just at scoring, but creating for other people as well. I think he's got something like 10 assists this season um, on top of his goal record as well. And then Leon Bailey has really clicked recently. He's looked very dangerous. Um, then they've got other players in midfield. John McGinn, who... He's such a likeable character, but it will not be liked at Kenilworth Road, hopefully on Saturday evening as well. It's an evening game. Um, and then Douglas Louise as well, who 
didn't work from at Manchester City, has gone to Villa and is absolutely thriving. And I can't, I can't say for anyone else, but he's been in my FPL for most of the season, consistently getting those points. But he's a real danger as well. So it's difficult to predict the team, mainly because of the injuries they've got. But they've got so many dangerous players all throughout that attack. And then if they are clicking and with, the, with that high line, they can be dangerous to break down, hard to break down. But we have got the players that can break them down. It's just how clever we are and how well, t- how well we time our runs behind their line as well. So it's a difficult one to judge what they'll bring, but you know they'll be well drilled under Unai Emery. And it's interesting what you said sort of at the start of that about Villa and, and the game we had against them where we were very passive, we were very defensive and, and since then we, we've progressed into this side. They're a lot more expansive, play better football, um, progress through the thirds better. Um, of course, you know, Barkley getting up to speed um, has played a massive, massive part in that and, and Lokonga as well, those two. Um, it, it was... I look back at that game and I think it was probably the worst performance of the season. Um, how we scored, I, I do not know. That was, uh, you know, you could have played that game for six hours longer and we wouldn't have scored. Um, it had to be something as comical as what it proved to be. Um, but yeah, I, I guess in a way there'll be some element that Rob will be considering this as a test to see how far we, we've come um you know when you have your, your sort of worst kind of performance and, and you play a certain way and you change it and you, you go with a different kind of approach I think it will be an important game for him to measure how far we've come as a football inside um so I look forward to that element of it and and Saturday 5 30 um you know, I'm I'm really excited for this one. You know, some games get moved to you know a Sunday at, at um, two o'clock or a Saturday at twelve thirty, and the general consensus is a bit of a why do we have to do that? Why do we have to follow by these these broadcasters' rules? But I think Saturday five thirty is an excellent excellent time for us Luton fans. I just um, did a lot more time in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> you read my mind. Uh, yeah, it's one I'm relishing, and I think we're saying off air um, about going into this game after the Man City one. I'm actually a little bit more confident after seeing mainly Clark and, and Barkley work together so well. Um, and as we mentioned, it's going to be a completely different game to City. Any game that we have um, is going to be completely different to City. I think that's important to remember. Um, we'll just touch on the points deduction situation at Everton because obviously it's massive at the moment and um, you know as Luton fans we've been on the wrong end of a points deduction that really really damned our football club and we didn't have the luxury of an appeal system and you know our, our, our recent history writes itself in that regard but Everton was successful in their appeal. Um, it means instead of the 10 points they were initially deducted, they've only been deducted six. Um, it, it means now that we are four points away from escaping the relegation places. Um, you know, if that was the situation in itself, of course, we, we would have the right to complain and everything, but we'd sort of accept that that was that. The added layer of complication in all of this is that that Everton have been charged a second time, Nottingham Forest, 
have also been charged. So if they were to get their points deductions fairly soon, you know, that there could be a potential scenario where they get whether well, the, the hearing of the appeal is after the season finishes. So we could potentially think we've survived but points get added back and we haven't survived. So it's a, a real, real mess, Lewis. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on how it's been handled. Um, Everton getting their points back as well. What have you made of it all? I think you summed it up perfect there. A real mess. Obviously, it all has to be done and sorted by June, which is when the Premier League have their AGM. So we know by June, which isn't much help, but... Yeah, I believe the Forest and Everton will find out if they're being charged on the 7th or 8th of March. And then obviously, like you said, the season ends on the 19th and appeals is done on the 24th of May, which is impeccable timing from the Premier League as per usual. Um, but I, I can't comment on whether they should or shouldn't have got their points back. I don't know legislation well enough to say, yeah, they deserve to get them back or no, they didn't. But if they got six there... Technically, they should surely be getting six again. And the same with Forest. And Forest are more of our comp competition for that final spot in the relegation. So whatever happens, happens. But we've just got to play. We've just got to win games. If we win our games and get enough wins, we'll be fine. And I think you can really gather a sense of how Rob Edwards has approached it in the fact that... They, they keep in the training ground at uh, points tally as if nothing's sort of no deductions have been taken. I think that's definitely the best way to, to approach it, given just the, the uncertainty around what will happen. Finn, what, what are your thoughts on everything to do with points deductions and, and stuff like that? There's, I've seen calls for um, accounts to be submitted earlier and stuff like that, but the fact is, it's just, a, a, as we've both said now, a, a real mess and a situation where, you know, it, it does take an element of real life football out of it because we, we, we could go into the final game of the season thinking, all right, we need a point, but, but we could need three points. It's just <laughs> shambles. Oh, I mean, all I can say is it's an absolute disgrace from the Premier League that it's being dealt with so late. They're the big, they're the most watched uh, football league in the world. They're the probably the bit most, the biggest football league in the world. Yet it's managed by a bunch of children. I think you could put a bunch of toddlers into that room and they would manage it better than the way that's been dealt with by whoever's in charge now. Uh, apparently in the Everton situation, they were able to appeal because there were issues uh, in the legal situation that wasn't sound legally from the Premier League. And that's how, it was able to go to an appeal. This is what I've heard from another podcast. Um, the fact that teams could go into the last game of the season think, oh, we've been relegated. So half their team decides, I don't want to stay next season. I need to leave next season. And then a month later, you find out, oh, we've actually survived, but we've already accepted these offers for three or four players um, who are now leaving because um, there was part of their contract that they could leave if they were relegated. And that's something that could apply to us. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Barkley. We don't know what's going to happen with Osho, who's out of contract in the summer. Um, we could lose other players. Then we could survive because the Premier League have decided, oh, we might deal with this today and actually sort out the points deductions because we've decided this is now our priority. I'm not sure what it is they're doing 
between the time when the fines are given out or the points deductions are given out and then the the date they've decided to actually make the final decision by they've they've had months to deal with this they've the Everton one by all accounts they've known about for a long time so why has it taken so long who is doing it why has it not been their absolute priority to have it dealt with or if they can't deal with it this season have it finalized this season as much as it would hurt us move it on to next season when they've got a decision made and it's all set in stone because it is shambolic and I think any club in the league, particularly the clubs down in the bottom half, feel the same way about it. Everton fans have made their opinion on the Premier League and the Premier League's running pretty well well known in recent months. And I think there's a lot more clubs starting to agree with some of those opinions. So, yeah, all I can say is it's a disgrace and they're not fit for purpose. Yeah, you just need clarity, don't you? You just need decisions explaining. You just need... I, I think that will help. Obviously, they need to be held to account but also public explanations as to why and exactly what Everton done wrong or not in Forest done wrong um because it's all being dealt with behind the scenes and you know maybe legally that's the correct way to do things but it, it just just creates uncertainty around the fans and it just doesn't seem right that, that fans are kept away from from what is actually happening and and not knowing their fate of, of sorry their club's fate into in the Premier League is just ridiculous, really. Um, but that is all for today. Um, as we've been discussing in a bit of depth, the next game is Aston Villa at home, Saturday, 5.30 kickoff. I cannot wait. Two with me today. I'm sure they can't wait as well. But that is it. Uh, we'll be back after uh, Saturday's game. And we will be reviewing and hopefully it'll be with an extra three points on the board until next week it is goodbye from us away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.